with lots of things going on. So uh, some of you maybe noticed a, uh, one of these papers in your chair. This also is a way, if you want, you can scan the, um, the QR code there and the Christmas tree walk, which is, uh, I think, a fantastic thing that we do, tell the story of Jesus through Christmas trees. You can volunteer for that. I think we're all familiar with QR codes now, right? Um, since that's like the only way you can order food at a restaurant anymore. So your QR code. Uh, our bulletins are QR code. You'll see some little table tents around if you want to look at the bulletin. So um, lots and lots of stuff coming up. It's going to be exciting times, November and December. Um, I don't know about you, but it is one of our family's favorite times of the year as we get to dig into that. Uh, so want to uh, let you know that Part of the reason we do that and we do community events and um, we, the World Evangelism Fund through our, our missionary organization, just we are as a church invested in um, our community. And it's not just, Kay has taught me a new phrase, it's not only around the world, it's across the street. It's, it's, it's all over. So we are multifaceted, wanting to help in every way that we can. And everything at our church, we try very hard to be, uh, to specifically gear the things that happen at our church with a purpose. And that purpose is to see people come to know Jesus Christ. To, you see the sign when you come in, to love like Jesus so lives are changed. I mean, for people's lives to be changed by the love of Jesus Christ is the ultimate mission for us. So uh, these are ways we can do that. And um, people will come to know the story of Jesus from our community through the Christmas tree walk. And it's just a fantastic thing. So uh, Amanda is leading that. Jordan uh, is helping her so you guys can talk uh, to them and get going. All right, so I need to get going myself because today I get to, uh, I'm gonna, for the next three weeks, until Advent season. I'm going to talk about something that I just, uh, this is a great teaching. This is, this is something I think that we can all use, something we can put in our back pocket as we think about what it means to be a Christian. We just came out of talking about uh, the kingdom of God, and I, I love talking about his kingdom and what that looks like and, and what that looks like for us. So um, I promised a series about heaven and hell. Uh, we don't hear a lot about that anymore, heaven and hell in church, do we? Um, because I think uh, the way that I grew up and maybe the way some of you grew up is that uh, it was very uh, dogmatic approach to uh, what heaven is and what hell is. And uh, fire and brimstone, you know, we've heard those words. As I um, dig into this, though, people have questions about the afterlife. Really, what does that look like? And this kingdom that we're living in, we've talked a lot about his kingdom, bringing his kingdom to this earth, to live like we're living in his kingdom. And um, so I just, I just want to talk a little bit about that. And I'll tell you what stirred me up on this a few years ago. There's a, um, there is a pastor who, was, who, who became well-known, I won't say names, but he became a, a well-known pastor. And then over time, he kind of, his theology and doctrine of theology changed and as he got into this place, he wrote a book that um, basically said that there is no hell. Um, that, uh, that no matter what happens in your life, because God loves you, that he won't send you to hell. And I, thought, I really wrestled with that. I struggled with that because I think that's wrong. I don't think that's right. But also, I don't believe that God is up there excited about sending people to hell. You know, I don't think he's a God that's like, oh man, who's next? Who's going to go? You know, I, I just don't believe that about God. So it really started me studying what 
is heaven and what is hell and, and what are we talking about? So, and, and I say that also, I want you to know that everything that we talk about is gonna be based in the scripture. It's very important that what we teach is all scriptural and uh, solid. So I would encourage you also to read the scripture, to study it. Don't just take the words that I say and believe it, but um, I mean, I hope you consider me trustworthy, but at the same time, study for yourselves, read for yourselves, understand for yourselves, because when it comes to the topic of heaven and earth, especially as I, I mean, heaven and hell, as I studied and researched this, I found a lot of things out, and there's a lot of people who have written books or talked about their experiences about heaven and hell. Some that uh, talk about having been to heaven or having been to hell and then God saved them. You guys know the books. And, and while those are interesting and, and I can't say if they, those things actually happened or not, what I want to make sure is that we understand that all of our faith in God is based in the scripture. The scripture is the place that we have to go, not uh, what somebody thought about it, not somebody's dream about something. I mean, and maybe God reveals things to you in dreams and maybe he did to them. I'm not, I don't wanna discount those things, but I wanna say that whatever we do has to line up with the scripture um, to start there. Uh, but I am, I am curious about what people think about heaven and hell, so I found this video uh, that I'd like to show you about what people on the street think about heaven and hell. I think it's the next, the next one. There we go. I don't know, I've seen this in the movie, probably answered through a gate, you know? Um, I guess the stereotypical pearly gates and everything, but I doubt it. Everything will be white, angel wings, something that you would always dream of in a dream that you would never think would come true. I think it's gonna be a lot of celebrating. I think heaven's more of a spiritual form. I don't think it's made of gold streets. Family that passed away, a lot of loved ones. Joy and peace, happiness. You know, I don't really imagine like a pearly gate or anything. I, I kind of, I picture kind of being put in one of the happiest times of my life. You just see a lot of beautiful things like the trees, the animals, the people. I don't think it's people or horses or mows. I don't think it's gold streets and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, what people make it to believe like a paradise and stuff. I think it's a spiritual bonding. I don't really believe in heaven, so I don't really, Know what it would be like. I don't think anybody knows, and I don't really think that there's a way to know. Uh, well, I don't. I don't believe in heaven. I. I don't believe in an afterlife. I think once we're dead, we're dead. A house with many mansions. I'm not sure how it looks like, but I don't know. Like it looks sort of like just bright and it's way more beautiful than where we are right now. A lot of rejoicing together with family and friends. Uh, people maybe I've never even met. People who I've prayed for. People who have prayed for me. Just really looking forward to that. <laughs> All over the place, right? On what heaven and hell is. And why is that? Um, I think that we as followers of Jesus really haven't done a good job in explaining to people what heaven and hell is. So we're going to try to change that. And I, listen, I've got to tell you that as I was preparing for this, this this is long, and so I'm going to try my best to get us. I mean, we have until noon, right? That's when kickoff is, so for sure we'll be done by then. I'm just kidding. If God moves, all things are off the table. But hey, um, what I want to do is say that, um, ask a question. What do you think about when you think of heaven? Do you think about like harps and clouds 
and uh, dressed in all white. I mean, does anybody really look good dressed in all white? And how do you keep that clean? That's my question. How do you, if it's all white, how do you keep it clean? And if we're dressed in all white, can we play football? Or, um, you know, American football or soccer football or, you know, like is golf the only thing we can play dressed in all white? And then is that even heaven if we have to play golf all the time? So <laughs> some of you are like, yes. Uh, what, is, what is heaven? What if you spill food on your robe? Because I got to tell you, hot dogs, which is, you know, very stereotypical. But man, I am always getting food on me uh, with hot dogs, some relish, some mustard, and then my white is stained. And, and think about all the jokes that start out with somebody standing in front of the pearly gates of heaven and St. Peter is there to greet him. Like we have this caricature of what heaven is. It's like uh, St. Peter is standing there like a, a bouncer in a nightclub and you know, you, you can or you can't enter. You're not here or you are. Um, I remember hearing about heaven when I was a kid and while I knew that hell was a place to be avoided at all costs, I have to tell you that the idea that the pastor would paint of heaven wasn't super exciting for me. Um, many of you probably heard like I did that going to heaven would be like an eternal church service. And as a kid, that was not my idea of heaven to sit in church for the rest of eternity. I was thinking, man, that's, uh, that doesn't sound exciting. And, and then I, I thought maybe things would change as I got older. Um, maybe I just wasn't spiritual enough yet. Maybe I just hadn't matured enough yet. Uh, and I, I have to say, though, that as I've gotten older, I think that an eternal church service still doesn't excite me. Uh, it's like this cartoon that I found, The Far Side. You guys remember The Far Side cartoon? Yeah, this one here. <laughs> this is how we think of heaven. Man, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Um, Feeling this way worries me, though, because as I read the Bible, I see that people like Abraham and Paul were super excited to get to heaven, so excited to, to spend it with God. And I figured that was just because they were so much more godly than I was, um, that they really liked all the boring stuff. And someday when I matured enough and I got to be a good enough Christian, I would also or maybe God will give us a new desire and we will want to have a forever church service. Or maybe they had a different perspective. Maybe I was taking my Americanized uh, culture mindset and placing it onto the scripture. And, and we have to be careful when we do that because things don't always translate so well when we do that. Maybe they picked up on something that I've missed. And as I've read through the scriptures, I really believe that's probably the case. I'm finding that heaven is not an eternal church service with us floating around, wearing diapers, playing a harp, and sitting on a cloud. I don't find that in the scripture anywhere. As we go through this series, I want us to develop a much clearer picture of what heaven is and why we will desperately want to be a part of what heaven is. All right. So um, I want to talk to you a little bit as this is all kind of groundwork. You see what I mean? Like this is, we're going to get to the scripture in just a minute. But um, I want to talk a little bit about how the, the ancient Jews understood heaven. Uh, before we jump right into Revelation 21 and 22, I want to make sure that we see how the ancient Jewish culture understood heaven. I think it's important because we really only have one verified link 
of somebody who has been to heaven, and that's Jesus, right? Only one. He's the only one we can know for certain that he has been there. And, and I believe if Jesus would have thought differently about what heaven was and about what hell was, that he would have said differently. He would have told him, listen, guys, you've got all this wrong. But really, as you read about Jesus, he doesn't talk about that. It, instead, what we get is a lot of things like in Matthew chapter 19. You guys remember the rich young ruler. He came and he said uh, to Jesus, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Remember that phrase? To get eternal life. Sounds like a pretty important question, right? In our minds, eternal life, immediately we go to heaven. But that's not really what he was asking. When the man's asked about getting to eternal life, he's not asking about how to get to heaven when he dies. That wasn't a concern for him or really anybody in the ancient Jewish culture. They were concerned with how to get to heaven when they died. And, and that's why Jesus doesn't tell people when he's preaching, hey, let me tell you the good news about how to get to heaven. He never says that. He says, remember, we just talked about it. Let me tell you the good news about the kingdom of God. It's just not what Jesus came to do. Heaven for Jesus and for the, the ancient Jewish culture was deeply connected with what they called this age and the age to come. I want you to remember that. This age and the age to come. And let's run through some things. In Matthew 13, Jesus speaks of a harvest at the end of the age. You'll remember some of these things. In Luke 20, he teaches about the people of this age and some who considered uh, worthy of taking part in the age to come. Sometimes he describes the age to come simply as entering life, as in Mark 9. It's better that you enter life maimed. Then just before he leaves his disciples in Matthew 28, Jesus reassures them that he will be with them, you remember this, always to the very end of the age. So for them, it was very deeply connected what this age was and the age to come. They, they were things, that's the way they thought about it. Jesus' disciples asked him in Matthew 24, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They wanted to know, hey, when are you coming back? And, and, and this age is going to end. This is how they thought about eternal life. This age and the age to come. This age is the age we're living in now. It's, it's all about this age and the age to come. Now, I should have reminded you, as we're going through this, if you want to follow along in the notes for today's message, you can go to the church's app, and a lot of the stuff's going to be in there, scriptures and, and Greek words and stuff, so if you want to look at that. And we're revamping the church app, so when you go to the app, go to the Sunday service and then find the, the notes from there. But... Um, Another way of saying life in the age to come in Jesus' day would have been to say eternal life. And the Hebrew word that they would use is olam habach. Olam habach, it's Hebrew. What must I do to inherit olam habach? In other words, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then in the English, the word that's translated age here is the Greek word ion, A-I-O-N, ion. And in, in the Greek, that word has multiple meanings, but specifically here it refers to a period of time. It's not a precise amount of time, as in you know, kickoff is in 45 minutes, whatever the time is. It's not a precise amount of time. It's just, it's a measure of time, but it's not a specific 
measure of time. So according to Jesus, there's it, this age, this ion, and then this is the one we're living in now, and then there's the coming age, also called the world to come or simply eternal life. Am I making sense here? So that's the way they thought of things. For them to say, how do I enter eternal life? They weren't thinking that there's a heaven and it's on Mars. And like when we die here, we shoot there and everything's good. Like for them, their perception of this age and the age to come was as if they were stepping through a veil. From this age to the next. All right, so let's go all the way back to Genesis real quick. Still setting it up. God created man and woman, right? Adam and Eve. And he put them in paradise. And he called this paradise Texas. <laughs> Just kidding. He, he called this paradise the Garden of Eden. And it, it's, <laughs> some of you are not from Texas and you're like, I don't know. But you're here. So <laughs> this is where you live. All right. So this was the environment, this perfection, this Garden of Eden, this Everything was absolutely perfect. They could walk down the path and they could, when they were hungry, grab an apple or whatever fruit or vegetable or whatever. All the animals were living. Everybody was in harmony. It was this perfect place, the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect environment. They, they had a perfect marriage. They lived in a world of complete harmony with each other, with God, with, with animals, with the environment. It was a place of responsibility without frustration. It was a world that was unstained by sin. It was beautiful. Can you imagine? It would have been amazing. There was no death or disappointment. That was foreign to them. There was no sin Everything was perfect. They walked with God. They enjoyed a personal, up-close relationship with their creator. But here's the deal. God created humanity to live in a perfect earth. He created our bodies to be eternal. We were not supposed to experience death. God gave, the problem is that God gave humanity the ability to choose. He gave us free will. So we can either choose God or not. He gave Adam and Eve the same choice. They could either choose to live in this relationship with him when he only asked one thing of them, to not eat of the tree, you remember? Or they could not, they had a choice. Just like we have a choice. The ability to choose and they chose sin and this is the problem when they chose sin they fell head over heels into sin creation and this whole earth fell along with it when sin entered the planet along came the promised curse that's why things are hard now all of creation was tainted. All of life was stained with sin and death. From that point on, the planet was no longer paradise, but something else. The ruins of a once perfect environment. To sum it up, life down here is just messed up. And I think that's what leads to our misconception of heaven. Because this place is messed up and we don't want to be here. Right? We just don't want to be here. Well, let's read it. Romans chapter 8. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All of subjection, I mean all of creation was subjected to frustration. Literally that word is futility. Sin has subjected us to futility. The world is broken by sin. That's why sometimes life here is good, but it's never perfect. It's often just messed up. And so I want to talk a little bit about what happened in the curse and why all of creation is groaning, eager and waiting for the time that God will make the world right again. The curse is this. Relationships are messed up. We know that, right? Relationship is, is sin tainted on this earth. It's just hard and it's often frustrating. And we all want perfect friendships and perfect marriages and parents want perfect relationships with their children and, and their teenagers. But sometimes those are good, but they're never the way that they were supposed to be. This planet is messed up. We live in a messed up planet, man. The, the ruins of what was once a perfect earth, even the most beautiful part of earth now, is only a shadow of what God created. And because of the fall, the world doesn't always work the way it was meant to. Hurricanes like, you remember Katrina and more since, they destroy homes and lives. Rivers overflow their banks and they destroy homes and, and livelihoods and fields. Tectonic plates shift beneath the surface and it causes earthquakes and tsunamis. Germs and viruses have invaded our world and we have things like the COVID pandemic. I mean, it's messed up. And we live in a world of messed up people. You look around right now and, and do you think, oh, the world's living in harmony. Look how good it is. No. Everybody's fighting over everything all the time. And why? Because sin has ruined it. The heavenly vision of all peoples and all races and all classes all unified together. Are we even close to that? I don't think so. Paradise includes the concept of justice and plenty for everyone, but travel a little bit and you'll realize that most of the world lives in abject poverty. I've heard people panicking about the shortages of food that we're going to have for Thanksgiving. Like, man, I can only have one turkey this year instead of two. Or I'm going to have to have ham this year because there's no turkeys I can buy. You know, like we're concerned about that. There's people that are concerned about having one meal today. This is the world we live in. Our bodies are messed up. I mean, not everybody is blessed with a body like. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> our bodies are messed up. And listen, in our bodies, they don't get better over time. They get worse as we age. We groan a lot more now than we used to. <laughs> we roll out of bed and our feet hurt. Our hair is a different color or there's less of it. It just keeps getting worse as we age. Romans 8 talks about all creation groaning and, and we can relate to that. You know, the last time I checked, the death rate on this world is 100%. Everybody will die. 
We know that, but when it happens, doesn't it feel like a violation of the way things are supposed to be? Don't we mourn the loss of somebody we love so much? We just experienced that with Barbara Marshall as she passed away. Paul Marshall, some, some of you don't know, he's the pastor who had the vision to move from Louisville to this property here. Beautiful man, beautiful wife. She was amazing. And we lost her. And it just feels wrong. Like that shouldn't have happened, right? But it did. Listen, I could go on and keep talking about work and recreation and all the parts of our life, but here's the point. This world is messed up. You and I were created for paradise, to live in a perfect earth, but we chose sin. <laughs> but here's the good news. And here's what we as followers of Jesus have got to talk about more often. God immediately went to work to redeem us. Immediately he went to work and he said, oh, you guys have messed it up, but I've got a plan. I've got, read the Old Testament. Like just read through it and you'll be like, oh my, I can see his plan. Immediately he had a plan and he promised to change it back. One day the Bible says that we will, that he will completely remake this earth. One day he will liberate us from the bondage to sin and death and decay. And we don't have to experience death anymore, ourselves or the people we love. Let me read a little bit more of this scripture in Romans. Here's what creation is waiting for. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the, he's, ta he's talking about the ones who were first saved, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the next slide. Then I saw, oh, we don't want to get there yet. Oh, yeah, never mind. I got you going ahead of me. So what's creation waiting for? What's creation waiting for? I'm all excited to talk about Revelation, but hold on, we'll get there. For God to fully redeem and restore to the earth what it was meant to be. We long for the paradise that we were created for. And one day God will restore this earth to what he meant for it to be. Acts 3.21 says, He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. God has promised that he will restore all things. In the book of Matthew, Jesus refers to the coming to, to his coming again. And at that time, it says he will renew all things. In Revelation 22, one of the Revelation passages describes heaven and says, 
a great summary statement about what heaven will be like. And this is what it says. No longer will there be any curse. Just think about that. No longer will there be any curse. That's exactly what heaven will be. A redeemed, restored earth, completely unstained by the curse. And that is what God is up to. Because God started in the beginning, as soon as they sinned, to redeem all things. And we got... Through the Old Testament, he was working on redemption. He got to Jesus and gave us a way to be justified before him. And, but he's not stopping there. He is, by the work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in your life, being restored into the image that he created us in through the process that we call sanctification so that in the end, we will be fully restored. And when we see him in person, the sanctification, the Holy Spirit work in us will be made complete. So heaven, I believe by what the scriptures say, will be this earth recreated, remade the way it was meant to be. Now let's get to Revelation. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurry through here, okay? Because I know this, this is a good teaching though. Go back and listen to the podcast if we get going too fast. All right, Revelation 21, one through seven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now, listen to this. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He will be with them. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. In, insert people there, son and daughter, all of us. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And here's the kicker. It says that he will come and live among us. He will set his dwelling up with us. And when I read this and understood for the first time, it was like breaking new ground. The, the new Jerusalem will descend onto this planet so that the dwelling of God will be with the dwelling of humanity and they will happen at the same time. We will live together. The new heaven and the new earth merge and the new heaven is the newly remade, perfected earth. God will make his dwelling among us. It's the way I read the scripture. And I think that's huge. It changes everything about how I thought of heaven. Heaven's not gonna be us living in the clouds with angels' wings and an eternal church service. It's gonna be a real place where we have real bodies and real relationships and real responsibilities and real recreational opportunities and, and real relationships with God. Heaven's gonna be this planet, but this planet remade to the Garden of Eden. It's a lot to take in and we'll talk next week more about heaven and what that looks like and 
there's some implications about our body because our body will be different, but Jesus' body was different when he was resurrected, right? He's the only one we know. So we take a clue from him. His body was, he, he ate, we know that after he was resurrected, but he also could apparently walk through walls or at least disappear from one place and reappear in another place. So there's something spiritual about his body also. It makes, it changes the, the implications of things. But anyway, let's go. C.S. Lewis captures this concept really well in one of his books. Some of you maybe have read the Narnia series or at least watched some of the videos. So in the last battle, he shows Lucy mourning the loss of Narnia, a great world uh, created by Aslan. You guys remember Aslan who was the lion who was Jesus, represented Jesus. A beloved world that she assumes has been destroyed forever. So I'm gonna read an excerpt from the book. Although Lucy and her family and friends are on the threshold of Aslan's country, heaven, she still looks back at Narnia and feels a profound loss. But as she gets deeper into Aslan's country, she notices something totally unexpected. Those hills, said Lucy, the nice woody ones and the blue ones behind, aren't they very like the southern border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund after a moment's silence. Why, they're exactly like, look, there's a, a Mount Pyre with his, fork, with his forked head and there's the pass into Archenland and everything and yet they're not like said Lucy. They're different. They have more colors on them. They look further away than I remembered and they're more, more, I don't know, more, more like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory softly. Suddenly, Farsight, the eagle spread his wings, soared 30 or 40 feet up into the air, circled around them and alighted on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried, we have all been blind. We are only beginning to see where we are. From up there, I've seen it all. Edmundsur, Beaver's Dam, the Great River, the Care Paravel, still shining on the edge of the Eastern Sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. But how can that be, said Peter? For Aslan told us, older ones, that we should never return to Narnia. And here we are. Yes, said Eustace. And we saw it all destroyed and the sun put out. And it's also different, said Lucy. The eagle is right, said Lord Didgery. Listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here. Just as our own world, England and all, is only a shadow or copy of something in Aslan's real world, you need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow or a walking life is from a dream. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and, and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I, I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right hoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, this is the land I have been looking for all my life. Thought I never knew it until now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia was that it sometimes looked a little like this. Isn't that awesome? I think it really captures the truth of what heaven and earth will be. I like this sentence. The reason why we love the old Narnia 
was that it sometimes looked like this. So heaven is a perfected earth. If you want to know what heaven will be like, we see glimpses in the ruins. If you like the mountains, go, go to the Rocky Mountains or the Smoky Mountains and you'll see a glimpse of the beauty. If you like the beach, go to the beach and watch the ocean and see the white sand being washed up by the ocean swells. It looks almost perfect, right? The temperature is good. If you like skiing like I do, snow skiing, then you're gonna love the mountains. If you like the desert, then you're gonna like the desert. If you like the beach, you're gonna love it. The new earth is gonna be that. It's gonna be awesome. It's an uncursed life. Relationships that were messed up will be restored. Marriages and friendships and parent-child relationships that are so hard here, there, the relationships will not be hard. We'll have the kind of relationships God created us for and meant for us to have and with the depth that was intended. The planet that has been messed up as we described, it won't be then because there will be no curse. Go back and read Genesis, the different curses, the, the curse of the ground being hard and the curse of um, all the weeds and stuff that were grown, the curse of uh, childbirth being difficult. None of that's gonna be there. A world of people messed up, not then. There won't be any more injustice. There'll be no more segregation, no more genocide, no more racism, no more violence, a perfect world. The relationship with God that we struggle with down here sometimes. Faith that we lack, hope that we can't see. We will see God face to face and we will know and we will have that relationship with him that he created us to have. Our bodies that messed up, not there. Everything will be great. Our hair will have a color. We'll have more of it. Life's gonna be good. No more sickness, no more COVID, no more suffering. Basically, this world, this life, redeemed, restored. It is what God went to work to do. Heaven's not going to be some boring, floating on the cloud experience. It will be life lived as it was meant to be. When God does recreate this planet, the process of his redemption will be complete, both in you and in the physical. And it's amazing that God is working his redemptive work right now. When Jesus came, he came as a redeemer to redeem us of the sin that plagues us, to give us the ability to live in a forever relationship with God. It isn't just that he leaves us here to deal with the curse and the terrible life until we die or waiting on he, until he comes back to redeem us. He's redeeming us and, and doing a redemptive work through us right now. And when he says, um, this is how I want you to live or how I want you to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's saying, listen, what's happening in the heavenly realms right now? We want it to happen here. This is the glimpse that we get when people who believe in Jesus, who have faith, who are living like Christians, 
they love each other and they accept each other and they don't talk bad about each other and every race is welcome and every ethnicity has a place at the table and the poor and the marginalized are welcomed in and, and there's justice for the, the widows and the orphans. That's what this is. We're, we're helping him redeem this earth and people see it and, and they like what they see and they like what they get to hear and they like being treated that way and they like that they have a seat at the table because that world is hard. And out there they don't have that. But in his kingdom, they do. And we're bringing that everywhere we go. So my hope for you is that you begin to understand that Jesus wants to redeem all of creation. God wants to redeem all of creation. Jesus' redemptive work through us, I mean, through the spirit in us, helps us with being justified and the sin that's in our life, but he is at work restoring us to the imago Dei, the image of Christ created, that we were created in originally. So as you think about that, and as you look around, and as you see people who are struggling, can you invite them into this picture of heaven? God wants to do something in you, and he wants to start now. He doesn't want to wait until he comes back. It's not receive him and then one day we step into eternity. It's receive him and the work begins now. One day we will step from this age into the next. From, from this place into the next. We will enter eternal life and it'll be amazing. But until that time, how many people are we inviting to join us? Here's what I think. And here in a minute, we're going to take communion and those who are helping can start to get that ready. But here's what I want to remind us of. There is a world of people who don't know Jesus. They don't know what it looks like to be redeemed. They don't know who he is or what he can do for their lives. They have in their mind this idea that he wants to save them for an eternity that involves in heaven, I mean in clouds. And you know what? Maybe heaven will be. I would love to fly. I want to sit on a cloud. That's awesome. Hopefully God lets me do that. But he created us to live in this kind of relationship with him. There's a world of people who do not know what that looks like. And it's our job to teach them. So you're going to be hearing a lot more about this. It's our job to disciple people. It's not just our job to attract them. It is our job to show them what it looks like to live in this kind of a world. But it all starts with us telling them. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Can you begin to think about, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about a person in your life who needs to hear this message of Jesus. And we're gonna take communion here in a minute and there's gonna be, I think, four um, stations. They have prepackaged communions, cups and bread. But before we do that, as you do that, make this part of your prayer. Would you show me, God, in my mind's eye, who you want for me to reach? Who do I need to show your love to? God, would you 
continue the work of restoring me into the image that you created me in and help me to begin to introduce other people to you so they also can begin that redemptive, let you begin that redemptive work in their lives. And now as we are going to take communion, it's important that we remember that Jesus did this right before his death on the cross. And he took the bread on the night he was betrayed and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said this is my body which will be broken for you and for many we remember today that his body was broken for us we recall as well how in the same way when the meal was over he took the cup the cup of blessing and he gave it to those around him and he said take this and drink this is my blood the blood of a new covenant which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins when you do this do it in remembrance of me we're reminded today that Jesus blood was shed just for us Jesus this morning as we think about those those who have wandered from you or those who have never known you, that you would draw them to you and, and use us. We want to partner with you to reach other people so that many, many, many people could do this communion meal with us as they are working on and learning about what it means to be redeemed. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you have done redeeming us. Thank you, God, that you are at work redeeming this entire planet and relationships and everything in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At your leisure, as you're praying about this, I invite you to find one of the stations around and get your communion elements.